This is the Rockonomics Podcast, episode number 28. I'm your host, Dill, and we've got a very special show today with trained drummer Drew Scholes. Drew has been a professional drummer since graduating college in 2005, but took a break three years later to get a law degree at the University of Pennsylvania and go to work for a well-known law firm before getting the call to join Train in 2014. Since then, he's been touring the world, and I was lucky enough to catch up with him on Train's latest tour with Hall & Oates. We cover a lot of ground, so let's skip the verse and cut to the chorus with Train drummer Drew Scholes. I was wanted to start. There's a number of them, but <laughs> I was going back to kind of my first exposure of Train when they first when they were first coming up. I saw them open for Better Than Ezra, and online they had a great blog. And I don't know if all the band, I can't remember if all the band members did it or it was just Pat, but it was a great look inside of what they were going through and what they were experiencing. And they were talking about you know going out on tour and hooking up with a Better Than Ezra and you know having a Having a hit single at the time um, from their first album, what was probably it, Meet uh, Virginia. Yes, at that yes. point, yeah. And one of the things that was profound to me was there was a, a, a blog about moving from van to bus, which I thought was really funny because the way they wrote it was it was a big deal. You know, it was mm-hmm. definitely a stepping stone, and just you know, I think the creature comforts of getting away from you know being so close together to having you know that so i wanted to start with your experience because i know when you were gigging around or at least it was been said when you were gigging around um i think prior to hooking up with pat you were hooking up with uh were you going on national tours i was going on national tours but they were all van tours okay so my first experience playing with pat monahan lead singer of train uh was making that jump from bus to van or from van to bus and and it's uh it is a big jump. Um, for me, it was a, it represented, um, you know, kind of you you feel like you've arrived to the next level of of um, status as a musician in terms of reach of the amount of people that you're playing to. You're playing larger venues, which allows you to afford to right. you know to pay for a, a nicer uh, bus. Um, you know, and, and it's just comfortable to be able to uh, sleep on a sleep in a bunk and um you know you go to sleep at night and your driver is driving overnight to the next city so you wake up and you're in the next city and so it's more efficient because you get to actually explore the cities that you're touring to um whereas when you are in the van you you know you sleep you know four to a room and you wake up really early to drive five hours to the next city to to hopefully make sound check in time and then you just have to hurry up and eat and then you play and then you do it all over again right so that's that's kind of um, you know, for a lot of bands, that's that's how you start. Um, when I was doing it, I was uh, my very first tour was with an artist named Tony Furtado, who's a roots rock Americana guy, and um, he tours a lot of the um, like ski town, okay. like college town circuit. So we, we came over to North Carolina. Um, you know, to play like the research triangle, uh, we played, you know, Montana, Idaho, like ski towns. And, uh, but yeah, it was all, all in vans and same with, um, Curtis Salgado, who was my second, uh, tour. Uh, he's a, a, a blues soul singer, um, from the Northwest. And, uh, uh, but for me as a 22, 23 year old, that was still pretty cool. Um, and I was right off the, right out the gate still had, you know, hotel rooms and, and was paid, a. Uh, you know, a, a good starting salary for a touring musician. So I was lucky to, even in my initial touring, to like be with professionals and people who had been doing it for for a long time. Um, so yeah, in terms of what you were saying with with the train guys, um, you know, the, they were the ones that put in that that early um, effort into building the band. Um, you know, and, and and the thing is, they, I, you know, from what I understand. Um, you know, it took them a while to get a, a record deal mm-hmm. um, at a time when you, you needed a record deal. Like that was a big, a right. big thing. Um, and uh, so they were pushing Meet Virginia and that album for a long time. I think it was recorded for a couple of years before it finally took off. Um, and they, you know, finally were able to release it in, in 98. Um, so I can appreciate why that was a big, big deal for them. Um, and uh yeah, it was, I had a similar experience. So. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, it'd be interesting to see it nowadays, go back and look at it. But obviously, you know, they don't keep a, an archive. But <laughs> regardless. Yeah. Um, 
So this is, uh, I mean, it's, this is a little bit familiar territory. I mean, you're famous for um, being into law, you know, being a lawyer or, or faster on way to becoming a lawyer before you, um, you know, became a professional musician, or at least with train. Um, and it's been documented about you giving two weeks notice. I just want to go over that a, a little bit further just because that's one of my, that's a fantasy of mine was to actually walk into somebody's office and say, listen, the band I've been playing in, you know, is either going on tour or going to go sure. record. So what was, what were the circumstances at the time when, when train became a, a go? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I'm famous for it, uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it was, uh, I was working, um, at a, at a big New York law firm and, um, just backing up a little bit, you know, I had played music professionally, um, after college, uh, for about three years and, and I, um, am from Portland, Oregon and that's where I was, was playing. And that's when I met Pat Monahan and did a, a big, you know, uh, us tour with him. And, but then I decided to, to go to law school and, um, I ended up going to Penn law in Philly, mm-hmm. um, and ended up working, you know, for a law firm for almost two years in New York. Um, so I was pretty far along into the legal path, you know, right. um, I also, I'd worked for a legal nonprofit even while I was applying to law school. So I was about six years into being, you know, a lawyer in the, in the legal profession, but playing music on the side, you know, I still, that guy I was talking about, Curtis Salgado, I had played a couple shows in Europe with him, uh, just weekend warrior oh, really? uh, festivals while I was a lawyer. Okay. Um, when I was in law school, I had like a weekly jazz gig at like a West Philly Ethiopian bar. Like I was, I was always keeping the chops up and playing. And then, you know, I still had friends that were doing it professionally. Um, a good friend of mine, um, his name is Budo and he's a hip hop producer and he was touring with Macklemore and was posting all these photos of like playing in front of 50,000 people in Germany. And, and I'm sitting behind my desk like, man, that sounds cool. I wish I could, <laughs> I wish I could be doing that. Um, you know, so I think that uh, I probably was putting out that energy into into the universe that I was open to maybe making a switch back to music. But it, it really wasn't. It was something that was just kind of deep inside of me. It wasn't like I was actively pursuing right, it. Right, you weren't hustling it. Um, but I was, you know, I was 100% into being a lawyer and, and working hard and had a great job. And, and it was going well. And I really had no intention of leaving. But I'm, you know, I love playing drums. And it's probably what I'm best at. Um you know, I was just learning how to become a good lawyer, you know. Um, but basically, uh, Pat um, of Train uh, texted me and said, are you sick of being a lawyer yet? And I, I think I said, it depends because that's what lawyers say. <laughs> had, to, had to hear the terms of the deal <laughs> you first. Use your training to its best. To- yeah. Um, so they, you know, the, they had a longtime drummer, original member, uh, Scott Underwood. The band and Scott decided to um, to part ways, and um, they had been um, auditioning different drummers, great drummers, um, and had played a few gigs with different drummers. Um, but they were still, you know, kind of looking for a, a permanent fit. And Pat just decided to reach out and see if I was interested. Um, another guy that's in the band now, Jerry Becker, was in uh, the the sol- on the solo tour with me okay. ten years ago, and he had, he had said, "Hey, you know, what about?" What about Drew? And I guess the drummer of Counting Crows, Jim Boges, <laughs> said to Jerry, what about that Drew guy? You should reach out to him. So it's like there were all these people that were like saying, hey, that, that original kind of like solo <laughs> tour band that you had is, is, is pretty good. Um, so I was flattered that they kept me in mind. And um, Did you have to audition again? Yeah. It- so, yeah. So basically, uh, you know, Pat said, hey, we're looking for a drummer. We're going to be in New York in two weeks. Um, I'm sure you sound great, but you know, if you could learn these songs, we'll come, you know, to SIR and audition you and, um, which is, you know, obviously makes sense. I hadn't been playing professionally for a while. I think he wanted to make sure I wasn't horrible. Right. <laughs> um, you know, so I'm, I'm working as a M and a lawyer working crazy hours. And I basically immediately started, uh, cramming late at night. Uh, you know, I get off work at like 9 PM and, and head to a, a midtown Manhattan, like rehearsal studio mm-hmm. and just like go through the six train songs that, you know, you, you would think, uh, that you'd have to play like drops of Jupiter and calling all angels and Hey soul sister. And I had played a, a lot of these songs before. Um, but you know, 
but it's weird because it was it was moving very quickly and I was you know I really had no intention of leaving law and all of a sudden there was this amazing opportunity that I knew was kind of once in a lifetime because even though I had toured with Pat before it still was on a on it wasn't on on as big of a scale right. uh, train had had achieved a lot more success uh in in the interim and um so I knew it was a great opportunity um so anyway so um yeah how, how long was not to interrupt how long was from the text to being in a two week. recording studio oh, sorry, two, oh okay. yeah i mean not, two I'm and sorry, a half not, not, two recording. and a half weeks because well the rehearsal i'm sorry the rehearsals yeah. well the next week i was in a recording okay. studio and in a <laughs> and in a photo shoot in la at jackie treehorn's mansion from the big lebowski so it was like a weird first week <laughs> um it was instantly like cliche rock and roll week like right off the bat but um uh yeah so two weeks in um I finally get the audition. I play two songs for Pat. He's like, I've heard everything I need to hear. The, the, the job's yours if you want it. So you know, I think the chemistry was still there with those sure. guys. And uh, it was great. Um, so the next day is when I put in the two weeks notice. Um, and uh, Did anyone know at the office which you were, you know, that you were even like, oh, I'm going to meet up with a guy from train to, to audition? Like, were you, were you keeping it on the down low? At the no, I, I, at that point, I just came out with it because most people leave and say, hey, I'm going to this other firm or, you know, my wife got a job in San Francisco, so I'm relocating. You know, not many people say, oh, I'm, I'm playing with this, like, Grammy award-winning <laughs> multi-platinum band. We're going to tour the world, so yeah. sorry. <laughs> um, it made it actually easier to have the conversation because it, it wasn't like I was leaving to go to a competitor or anything. It was a unique kind of story. Sure. Um, and so, uh, luckily, a lot of the partners actually had heard of the band, so it just made it a, a yeah. kind of a fun conversation. I think they were just excited for me. Um, and, and a lot of them were just saying, look, you can always be a lawyer. You could always try to come back to this, but this is something you got to do. Um, so that was that was good to hear. Um, so, it's yeah, I, it, now it's four years later, and um, I think it was a good decision. Yeah. Hell yeah. I think uh, you got a million people out there who agree. Um, let, let's go back into a little bit when you said you, so you went right into recording also. Yeah. The, so, yeah. So actually in the, in the middle of the two week period of the two week notice, I played my first show and it was in front of 20,000 people at Tortuga Fest in Florida. And then I went back and still had like due diligence to do. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, okay. I think maybe this is probably, probably the right move. Um, but, uh, yeah. So the, the first full official week, um, the band was finishing up, uh, the bulletproof Picasso album. And so a lot of the songs had been recorded, but, um, some of the drums hadn't been. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I went uh, to LA and got to work with, uh, a couple producers, Jake Sinclair and and then, uh, Butch Walker was kind of the main producer too on that. And so, yeah, immediately I'm tracking drums. So I'm on like over half that album, even though it was within the first week. So I lucked out that the timing worked out the way that it did. Um, yeah. And I, I, immediately we did like a band photo shoot. And so I was involved with the album photos and, um, you know, if I had joined a month later, I probably would have missed out on that. So it was cool. And, and now at this point I've been in, uh, I've been on Bulletproof Picasso album, uh, Christmas in Tahoe. Uh, we did, we did a a holiday Mm -hmm. record. We did a lead Zeppelin, uh, two cover album right, right. Uh, and then our most recent album a girl a bottle a boat so four four albums in four years um our singer is very ambitious and <laughs> likes to put out well a it's lot funny of it's funny I, I browse the catalog and that, that christmas album has like 18 tracks on it did that take a long time to yeah we did it in a few different sittings yeah and and actually that the most recent version is like a deluxe version we actually went back and recorded okay. five more songs okay uh for like a reissue because initially it was um, an exclusive release on Amazon Music, and I think that had you know thirteen songs okay. or something like that. More of this usual. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then when it became widely available on all streaming services and all platforms, is when we added added more um, songs. So yeah, we we record a lot at the studio called Bear Creek, um, which is uh, in Woodenville, Washington, which is a suburb of Seattle, and it's this beautiful space that's it's like a converted barn. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of a lot of rock bands, Seattle rock bands, have recorded there, like Foo Fighters and Soundgarden. Um, but also, like, I mean, there's been all sorts of like jazz and blues and like 
that's where like the Lumineers right. recorded and uh, it's a really special place and so we've done a lot of our, our stuff that even before I joined the band I think they recorded um, some of California 37 there um, and our singer lives in the Seattle area so okay. uh, it works out for him to kind of stay local and I grew up in Portland like I mentioned earlier and went to college in eastern Washington so coming back to the northwest is always really special for me because it's like reconnecting with where I kind of came into my own as a musician okay um, I got a, a question I'm dying to ask. I've been waiting to ask somebody, but it's, you're, yeah. you're in the position. Did you have to take a pay cut to join train? And I asked that cause you had a good job. Sure. I mean, you have yeah. a good job at a very large firm and you know, I don't want to get into it. You know, you yeah. have to do numbers, right, but there's, I, I just feel like there's this perception of like, Hey, once you sign the dotted line with a major rock band, you know, you're it's Ferraris and right. you know, jets. Yeah. I think that there's a lot. Uh, there's a big range uh, for musicians, and I think yeah, people either think that I'm instantly very rich, or uh, or that I took a major pay cut. Um, and um, as in like people who don't, who, people who assume musicians are kind of just like lazy and not doing well, like you know, some of those partners that I talked to were like, oh, are you sure you want to do that? Because you know, right. if you're a partner at a big law firm, you do make a lot of money. But if you're in a successful band and you're an equity member of it, you could also make a similar amount of money or potentially more. Um, but uh, uh, the industry's changed a lot, though, too. So yeah, yeah, not everybody's sure. making a, a, um, you know a ton of money. Um, so yeah, so everybody has a different arrangement, right? So um, is Pat the sole? I mean, is he the sole he's, proprietor now? He, he is—he is the original. He's the only uh, original member, um, and um, so. But just more generally, I feel like uh, you know some people are equity members of a band that they started. So in the, you know, when they first start out and they're in those van days and they work their way up, they just decide, okay, we're going to split this all evenly. Everybody gets twenty percent or whatever right. if they're five people, um, and then. Uh, some people are solo artists, you know, say like John Mayer was always John Mayer. And then he didn't, he plays with different amazing musicians on each record or each tour, but those people are probably paid for, you know, their work in the studio or they're paid for touring and, but they're paid as touring musicians mm -hmm. and not as equity members of John Mayer. Right? right. Um, so some people are paid when they go out and play an individual show or they're paid on a per weekly basis while they're touring and then they're not paid when they're home and they they're have off. to go find another gig or sometimes when they're home they're on a retainer where maybe they're paid um you know not as much maybe half or something yeah. or maybe the same it just depends on their arrangement um so yeah so without getting specific about my specific you know my arrangement um you know i was also a lawyer and and knew that i to some extent had leverage where I, yeah, I'm walking away from a good job, but it is a quality of life decision. Right. So, uh, and, and an amazing opportunity. Right. So, uh, they're not necessarily equal. Um, but you know, as someone who has like Ivy league law school debt and, you know, had, <laughs> I didn't even think of that. That's interesting. You bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, uh, yeah. Paying off law school debt by playing drums in a rock band is funny. I'm sure I'm maybe be, I might be the only one who's, who's done that, but, um, uh, yeah, so I was aware of all those things, so I wasn't willing to just like throw away everything because I I wasn't in the position to do that. You know, mm -hmm. like I was engaged at the time, now married. My wife was in med school. Um, we lived in New York. It's expensive, you know. So um, it wasn't like I'll do whatever it takes, you know. Right. Yeah. But um, a a everything is is. I think it's a, a fair operation. I think the way that our band is run is very much based on, you know, merit and seniority and however you like negotiated what you needed to do. Um, but honestly, we don't really talk about that stuff because, sure, sure. you know, um, just like in, I'm sure, you know, in, in other businesses, um, where it's not lockstep, like at my firm, it was lockstep for the most part as when you're a junior lawyer, right. where like everybody gets a certain, gets the same raise, right. For a number of years. But mm -hmm. at a certain point there starts to be bonuses that are, uh, you know, that, that kind of, um, track like your, your productivity and like your, right. your promise. Right. Um, and that's when it gets weird because people don't want to discuss those, those types of things. Um, so anyway, to answer your question, I'm like somewhere in the middle of like dead broke and doing well, <laughs> you know, like it's, I'm, I'm, things are good. We're a very fortunate band that that's doing well. And, um, 
you know, keeps busy. And in addition to our normal, um, public shows, we play a lot of private corporate events, um, mm -hmm. for companies that do, you know, like a tech conference or a medical conference or, you know, things in Orlando and Vegas and Cancun. And, um, there are cool opportunities to, uh, to play for, for all sorts of people. Like we played a Tiger Woods charity event in Vegas a couple weeks ago and just amazing things like that. So, yeah. so those are, those are, uh, events that kind of keep the band busy all the time. And I, and, and, and so we're, we're lucky that our band is, um, accessible to all sorts of people and is, is recognizable and, and, um, and, and, you know, it, it keeps us, it keeps us busy. So yeah. it's good. I want to segue into some of that yeah. fun stuff, as I'll call it. Yeah, like the cool shit you get to, you get to do. Um, but one last question on that last topic is: Do you are you represented by anybody? Or are you representing yourself in terms of? Do you have a personal manager? Or do you have a you know somebody who's negotiating? I do not have you? a personal manager. So I, I in terms of uh, you know like when I joined the band, it was just me representing. I mean, luckily, you have the background. Yeah, to represent and, yourself. Right. Whereas, right. You know. Sure. Although even, I mean, people, yeah, I mean, people should, even lawyers have lawyers or like accountants have accountants. Right. But, um, yeah, so I, uh, but, but our band has, has a management company. And so really, so, you know, Pat is their, is their client. Right? right. But, but they still also look out for the interests of, yeah of us. But you have to know that ultimately, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's a business. The, it's a business and it's for the good of the band. Yes. You know, um, but as long as you're a team player and you're and you're being professional and, and, and you know I think I think they really truly do look out for everybody's best interests. Um, our management company is called Crush Music, and um, it's uh, uh, a couple guys, JD and Bob, and and they they employ quite a few uh, other people. Um, even just in the amount of time that I've been um, in the band, um, they've taken on all sorts of new. Um, uh, bands that, that, that they manage lord um Jeez. green day um <laughs> it's like i've heard of those guys yeah lord i thought you're gonna mention like these up-and-coming bands. yeah well they used to do like up-and-coming like emo like uh, so they st back in, how they got their start was like kind of pop punk emo bands okay so in the mid 2000s they started fallout boy panic at the disco and similar bands they still have those bands because those bands are still yeah. very popular um and then Train was their first kind of non-pop punk band, and that opened up the door to, like, kind of older bands or more kind of diverse bands. So from there, they've gotten Weezer, uh, Sia. Um, so they're, they're, they're very successful, and, and, um, and, and, and so we're a part of a team of, of people that um, – uh, Matt Nathanson is another guy that's right. on there. So, uh, just, just a great roster. And, and, and so it's a really, um, it's really cool to, and just as a lawyer, um, and someone interested in the business side of things, it's just been cool to kind of pick their brains and like get to know management and think about the strategic choices of how to, how to k keep a career going for a band like train that's been around right. for 25 years and continues to, you know, Pat continues to evolve and change his style. But, you know, we had a, platinum single last year you yeah. know and if you think about peer bands to win like you were talking about better than ezra and like all these great bands that that started in the 90s you know um it's hard to have singles yeah uh, sure. it's been a while for for a lot of those 90s bands you know um but pat continues to evolve and people may you know hardcore like old school fans i think initially sometimes had had a problem with the way that the music evolved but at the same time if you continue to play yeah. meet virginia over and over again yeah, or it, it, write another one like that you're not going to be yeah. on the radio so i think pat's been smart to figure out how to do it and still stay true to his songwriting um voice you know yeah no damned if you do damned if you don't with hardcore fans like yeah <laughs> and, never. yeah and they've been great to me i mean like i think when i first joined it was difficult for some fans because like scott's a great drummer been in the band for a long time and and people want someone to blame even though it has nothing to do with me right it wasn't my choice but they they take it out on you it's like people getting mad at like sports fans for like a trade or something yeah, yeah. Or, or for a player it's like it's not it's <laughs> not there that's just how it goes like <laughs> um but uh but they've been like they they really are the, the the most supportive and great greatest fans in the world and they're like they they follow me on social media are very supportive and and um and uh yeah so it's it's been great to get to know the fans and you start to recognize those faces kind of in the front row oh, that's cool. at different different uh 
different shows. So they're they're wonderful. That's fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, let's get into uh, the cool shit. Sure. Um, endorsements. <clears throat> You're with uh, Ludwig and Zildjian, Vic Firth, Remo. Yeah. H- how does that work? When did you first get and Roland and Westone as well? As, yeah. as well. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry for those. Um, how did that come about for you? Was that your first? Was this, are these your first endorsements? They going are. back to. Uh-huh. Are, are they through train? Or are they from prior your prior experience with the uh, other? Well, that's. I mean. It's it was through train. It, once I was playing in train, it became easier to try to get endorsements. It wasn't as when I it wasn't as important to me when I was just like a freelance like jazz singer songwriter session guy in Portland. And I I don't know if I was savvy enough to figure that out. But then years later, once I'm older, have a little bit more training, and then all, all of a sudden have this platform through a, a big band. It you know it, it became important to try to seek out those relationships. Um, we travel quite a bit, and a lot of times you have to have backline equipment in different um, places all around the world. And so if you're working with um, larger vendors, it's just easier to get the Zildjian cymbals you need or the Ludwig drums that you need. Right. When you work with smaller boutique companies or if you're playing vintage stuff, like you, th- you're, there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to get that stuff right. all over the place. So I'm fortunate enough through train and, and through my relationships while being in the band to work with, with some, you know, the, the top companies, sure. you know, um, and, and, uh, so yeah, so I think basically once you get one, it's easier to get others. So I think initially Ludwig was on board. Um, and, and ultimately it was a conversation like, Hey, uh, you had a relationship with train in the past. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of your drums. Uh, I'd love to continue the relationship. We have these shows coming up. I'm on this record with the band. Um, let's talk about what, what we can do. And with Ludwig, luckily it, it worked out pretty, pretty early on. Once I got Ludwig, went to Zildjian and say, Hey, I just got Ludwig. I love your symbols. I've played them <laughs> forever, which is true. That's the thing. I'm pretty much playing all the things I played when I just bought them anyway. Right. And like, and so it's, it's not a stretch for me to, to, to talk about these companies and everybody knows that those companies are, they make amazing stuff. Um, but it really is a two-way street because, like, you can't just expect free stuff. And, and right. different, there are different relationships with vendors. So sometimes you get some free stuff. Sometimes it's discounted. Right. Um, and, and, and some combination of the two depending on uh, the visibility of your band, um, of you as an individual artist, and then how long you've kind of been right. with the company. I've noticed you with Ludwig. You've got a couple of different sets you're playing. Two or three on tour right now. Is that- uh, yeah, uh, this summer too. Yeah. We, are are they ever on? Are they ever loaning you the stuff, or is that yours now? <laughs> I mean, like you were saying, is that are those your drums? Are you taking so, them home, or are they going back to the you know to the factory, so to speak? Yeah. So people have different kind of situations. Um, normally, when I'm going out uh, on a tour, that that's my those are my drums. Uh, but if I'm just playing a one-off show, like I was talking about a corporate show in right. Vegas, that's normally just you rent a, a kit okay. for the day. Um, but yeah, the, the, when you go out with those drums, the, those are mine. So yeah, they're and pretty the, sweet. They're like 45th anniversary Vistalite kits, so yeah. which are the iconic acrylic, you know, plastic uh, or not? You know, I think it, yeah, it's made out of like plastic. That's like what John Bonham played right. and stuff. So it's it's uh, it's pretty fun. Um, one is like a green sparkle. Uh, and then one is like a tritone black gray and, and clear. So it's, it's fun because, you know, the thing about my band is our, our fan base is, uh, pretty diverse in terms of age. Mm -hmm. And so you get a lot of, um, like guys that are, uh, you know, out working as professionals in something, in some other profession, but they're hobbyists, right. And, and they have money to buy nice stuff. So they're like, oh, what you know, what snare is that? Like, what kid are you using? And then I get people who are up and coming, you know, young kids who just are trying to learn. And then you get like other peers that are like, um, also like touring musicians that just kind of are, you know, just like trying to compare notes about what they want to go out with. Right. So it, it's nice to kind of use social media as a platform to promote the the companies that I work with, um, and the band and myself, and it's all it's all everybody wins. I think in right that, in that situation is that something that is there a discussion on that though when you do sign with you know your, your endorsements? Do they say we'd love for you to mention us as much as you, as you can or tag us or is is mm-hmm. that a conversation? Or it is. That is supposed to be assumed. Yeah. No. I mean, so everybody does it differently. Um, sometimes it's just like a casual conversation, like, "Hey, this is your deal." 
uh, if you could just promote it as much as possible, that'd be great. But mo- most of the time, it's actually in a contract um, okay. that says that just just reiterates what that you know, like hey, maybe if you could post once a month or whatever, and if you could hashtag X Y Z. Um, I'm pretty active about it, and so I've never had anybody say, "Hey, can you do it more?" If anything, it's just it's more like, "Hey, we see you're coming to Boston. Can we, Vic Firth and Zildjian, want to come out and film content of the show?" So, like yeah. a, a couple weeks back, I, I, you know, they Vic Firth set up GoPros around the kit, and they're gonna create content based on our live concert. But then before the show, um, I worked with Zildjian to to promote their low volume. Uh, practice symbols and so we set up in front of the tour bus and i had like my little practice kit that i used backstage played these like low volume symbols and talked about that and so in that situation you know they get to promote a new product line i get to promote the band and myself as a player and then it just keeps the relationship uh you know going for us so that you know whenever one of us needs something if it's like hey i need you know, I'm hoping to get these types of symbols. Can you hook me up with, you know, X, Y, Z? And then they're like, oh, hey, can you can you film this? Or can you put this guy on the list? He's our, you know, CFO or whatever it may right, be. Right. And so, like, it kind of just goes both ways. Does any of this need to be signed off by the band or by management? You know, uh, I mean, even being here today, honestly, like, I, I <laughs> could have talked to uh, Crush Man- Music's uh, – um, pre- yeah, exactly the the publicist um but i have a good relationship with them and with her to the point where like anytime i've done something like this i think they know that i'm not gonna yeah, misrepresent the band in a, or i'm not gonna represent the band in a bad way and um they've even act it's actually cool pat does all the interviews but there have been a few times where pat has been busy or sick or something and i've actually been asked to do a couple interviews uh which is amazing because like you know i've only been in the band four years but i th- i think that um i don't know they think that i can hold 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 my own i guess <laughs> yeah well, get up in a courtroom and state your case <laughs> yeah yeah so i think that um uh they trust your judgment honestly basically. i don't know some people for me it's almost like ask ask for forgiveness instead of permission yeah. I, i'm never doing anything that i think is yeah not uh, going to be good for, for everybody involved. And if it seems like a bad move, then I just won't do it. Okay. Yeah. Um, you so mentioned- we'll see, we'll see, man. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like you seem kind of suspect. <laughs> you mentioned, uh, the corporate gigs. Um, yeah. Let's talk about, uh, I, I've got a list of like, I hesitate to call them gigs, but you guys have been on the today show. You've been on yeah. Kimmel, right. Stern, mm-hmm. Ace. What are some of the interesting things to you that you've experienced in terms of playing gigs? Yeah, I mean, like right off the bat, my first year, I got to play some bucket list venues uh, and TV shows. So first year, within the first few months even, I was on the Howard Stern Show, on the Today Show, uh, played Red Rocks Amphitheater, played Radio City Music Hall, played Sydney Opera House. Like all those within maybe five months. And I was like, (laughs) all right, well, I can quit. Um, We're done here. Yeah, and uh, it's amazing. And and this tour, we this summer we're doing a co-headline with Hall and & Oates. And so to be able to tour with Legends is amazing. But the venues we're playing are also venues the band hasn't played. Most of the time when we play summer uh, tours, we do outdoor amphitheaters. Mm-hmm. This year we're doing an arena tour. So the band tends to play outside, but th- this time around, you know, we're, we're playing. We, we just played Madison Square Garden, so we had never done that. Um, United Center, like where the Bulls play, and right. um, we're playing the Forum in LA. Um, and these, you know, as a basketball fan, and then for the hockey fans too in the camp, like you look up and see all those banners, right. um, uh, all those championships and MVPs and things. It's it's pretty cool. I, I just love I love sports, and I and I love when sports and music kind of overlap. And so it's been great to play these these uh, these venues. But um, yeah, so the all, all those have been pretty humbling and, and, um, uh, yeah. And it, it makes it interesting in terms of like setting new goals. Right. Cause then mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, which venues haven't, haven't we played or which shows or whatever, like we haven't played Saturday night, Saturday yeah. night live. That's, that's something that's been a goal for our singer. Um, you know, and it's tough because our band is so well liked by so many people, but also 
isn't necessarily like perceived as like a cool band. Right. And so SNL tends to like only have like cool, yeah. like new it's... artists or whatever. And so I don't know if we'll be invited, but like if, if something changed where we could be, that'd be amazing. But, um, I, I think that you just m- use that to motivate you to continue to try to write good music and, and be successful, um, on your own terms, because it, if you try to chase being cool, it's, it's just, yeah. it's hard. Cause sometimes people who are cool have one hit and then they're gone, you know? Yeah. Um, it's hard to be cool and, and sustain a really long career. Like maybe like Jay-Z and Beyonce can do that, but it's, <laughs> it's very rare. It's hard. <laughs> sure. So what's it like at some of these, I mean, are you guys always live? Like Thanksgiving parade is any of that? I, I, I didn't see it. I didn't see anything on YouTube or anything, but something like that, whenever I do see stuff like that, it's like, it's usually a piped in thing. And I'm not good. I'm not, I don't have an angle on this. It's just more. Yeah. Curiosity. No worries. Well, yeah, like, you know, yeah. Dancing with the Stars. Mm. That looked live. I saw that mm. on um, YouTube. But mm-hmm. um, I'm just curious how some of those, you know, yeah. some of these things work behind the scenes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry to, to take people behind the curtain a little bit. Um, so, yeah. A lot of times it's like half and half. So like the Today Show is live. We're playing those instruments yeah. live. Uh, sometimes when you're doing parades, it's, it's filmed live, right. but you're not actually – like you're pretending to play uh the instruments but they're not actually like plugged in you're basically just using they call it live to track so that means that a lot of times our singer is actually singing yeah so it's like but yeah but the instruments are from like a live performance or it's us you know but um and honestly it's never a choice from the band obviously we can do it at any point it's not like we're not capable of performing it's really just like a uh, they want to control all variables. So think about the Super Bowl performance. A lot of times there are certain parts of that. Like a couple of years ago, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, they were really playing up the fact that they weren't actually playing. So they were just like throwing guitars around <laughs> and being ridiculous because they just played a football game and all of a sudden they have to like put a stage in yeah, the middle and it has to go yeah, perfectly. There's no, sound check. there's no way to have that have a real live performance. And so it's not that Red Hot Chili Peppers can't handle it, right? I think it's just that's just how <laughs> that's how it goes. So yeah. you have to play it up, and uh, it, it is crazy though. I remember we played um, the Rockefeller Christmas tree lighting last winter, and uh, uh, Leslie Odom Jr. from Hamilton. He's now mm-hmm. like a jazz singer, great great performer. Um, he had a who's who band of all these amazing New York jazz musicians pretending to play. <laughs> So like they're getting paid just and they're great players. I'm friends yeah. with these people it's and funny. like but they're not actually playing. I'm just like you could have had anybody yeah. <laughs> do that. I mean with us like it has to be us because like we're we're the band. Uh, yeah. so people rec- you know those that care recognize us, but um it's yeah, it's well, funny I mean, that's, that that's, that's a part of it. That's a great way to frame it because it's you know, you have the best of the best, but it's just it's the venue. It's the circumstances yeah you know it's the you know and how many like so how many like cables do they have like how many signals and feeds do they have to be able to do like 10 mics on the drums and like multiple channels from the guitars and a lot of times if it's moving quickly and you have multiple bands they just can't do that and that's why Mm -hmm. because they can't guarantee that it's going to sound good or there's going to be a glitch that's why they do it that way so but but ultimately most people watching can't tell and it they're they're just having a good time and it's it's all good um, what about meeting some of your heroes? It sounds like you're you're getting these opportunities to be exposed to a lot of you know different artists and you know just when you do play around the world in different venues, are you meeting you know people that you've admired for a long time and or even just you know you're a sports fan? Are you getting the press the flesh with? I saw you were at the Cavs game I think a couple weeks back. I did not meet LeBron James, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean we but uh, what we were there with. Uh, Jason Kokrak, who's a um, professional golfer. Yeah. So our singer, Pat, is is good friends with um, athletes, comedians, all sorts of people. He's just a very charismatic guy and makes friends kind of across a lot of different uh, professional genres. And um, so, yeah, through him and through, through the band, uh, I've been able to meet, you know, Cedric the Entertainer and George Lopez and uh, Coach John Fox and, you know uh, – who was the life of the party, by the way, like we were, we were, that was when we played Red Rocks and he was the coach of Denver at the time. And he's just, he's just a larger than life character. Um, I got to meet Questlove, who's one of my top three favorite drummers and he's an amazing guy. Um, yeah, it's, um, sometimes you're kind of starstruck, uh, but ultimately 
Pat makes it pretty chill. Like it's you know it's just people hanging out and, yeah. and telling stories and and it's all good. He he's really great at all that, um, putting people at ease and making people feel comfortable. Um, so, but yeah, it's uh, we're very lucky to be able to meet the people that we meet. Um, so yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, Quest Love, he's top three. Who are the other? Fill in the spots of the yeah. other two. Um, so I really like uh steve jordan um who he played like in the letterman band in the 80s yeah, uh played with like keith richards and uh i i came to like him with his john mayer trio work uh along with this great bass player pino paladino um and uh yeah that's the thing i think that like a lot of times people are like who's your favorite drummer and they just want to hear john bonham because it's like who they know <laughs> but uh, the reality is i i just like people that not that drummers know but not like average like yeah. person may not know another guy is this guy brian blade who's an amazing jazz drummer who's very influential um but like as far as classic drummers i mean i've come to re- i grew up listening to like jazz and like alternative rock and stuff so i mean i liked Dave Grohl in the nineties. And then as far as jazz, I really like Tony Williams and Elvin Jones and Jack DeJanet. Um, as far as like classic rock drummers, I liked Mitch Mitchell, of uh, Jimi Hendrix's band. Um, I think I came to like Bonham and Ringo Starr later, mm-hmm. um, because I didn't grow up listening to classic rock. I kind of came into it as an adult musician and, and being in this band with guys that are 10, 15, 20 years older than me. Um, I've been exposed to a lot more classic rock. And, and, and the thing is like, you know, I have to fake it even if I don't, even if it's not like where I'm coming from, like I got to learn it and have to play it with as much authenticity as I, as I can. Um, and so we, we play Zeppelin a lot and like Bonham is considered the best rock drummer of all time. And it's almost sacrilegious to some drummers for people to try to cover it. And luckily the feedback from people has been positive when generally, like when they hear me play that stuff and they're like, Oh, you must have grown up listening to that. And I'm like, nope, I like learned it <laughs> for this performance. Yeah, that's a good compliment. But but getting into him, I see why, you know, he is who he is. And and the fact that he was that influential and died very young is is unbelievable. I mean, he was very, very unique. Um but I think I can approximate it. I wouldn't say I play it, you know, amazingly, but uh uh, just because he's influenced a lot of the drummers that I listen to. So I think yeah. it's just, you know, I get I get what's going on. And so then I think good musicians can kind of fake it because, like, it's not even faking it. You just, like, listen and you try to, like, get the feel and the vibe and, and then that's it. So, Well, now the bar is that eight-year-old girl on YouTube. Did yeah, you see she's that? amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, she smokes me. I feel like, yeah, she should she should have the gig. She sounds great. Um. Let's switch gears a little bit to uh, your experience with uh, – is it Elvi? Elvi? Elvi, yeah. What was it, plural? plural Elvis? Elvis, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, how did that come about? Uh, so Elvi is a side project uh, from the lead singer of the band The National, Matt Berninger, and, um, and uh, another band called Ramona Falls, uh, Brent Knopf. Uh, is is that's his band and mm-hmm. he was also in a band called Menomina. so it's all like indie rock stuff very different from from the world we've been discussing um, but i'm from portland a lot of indie rock bands come out of portland a really great bands and i'm friends with some of those people from when i used to live in portland so um once i once word got around that i was uh had come out of music retirement you know from left law come back to drums um, you know, when I go back to visit my family and friends in Portland, I'll get like recording sessions and stuff. And, um, so some of my indie rock friends hit me up, um, to do a session, uh, in Portland for, for this band Elvi. So Brent Knopf asked me to do that. And, um, it's great. It's, uh, I mean, I'm a fan of the national and, mm-hmm. and Brent's work, uh, in Ramona Falls. Um, and in the indie rock world, that's like, it's actually, it's a very, they're a very big band. You know, they won a Grammy, um, the national did. Um, so, uh, so Elvi, yeah, I got to play on the single, uh, I played on a lot of the record, but, um, return to the moon, uh, was the, was the big single and, um, yeah, but that's, you know, it's, it's like a, it's kind of a, a sore spot in my heart because, um, the, the advantage of being in a, in one band that's really busy and and it's a good job 
is that like you always have work, you don't have to look for other work. Right. The disadvantage is if you want to do other things, it's really hard to because you just don't have time or, or you, you have to turn things down. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying I'm getting offered all sorts of tours and, and sessions, but sometimes I am and I have to turn them down. So I got to do the record for Elvi, but then they offered me like a European tour to play all these really cool venues and all these cool venues in the U.S. And I had to say no because train's too busy. Um, and then once you say no, then it, it kind of like – limits that you're probably not going to get asked again yeah. to do those things yeah. i mean i'm still friends with with those guys but uh um but it's a grass is greener thing I, I i think that i'm in the better situation for myself like being you know because if i did a three-week cool tour yeah 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 <laughs> speaking of bands that would play on snl like that you know that kind of thing is is the cool it's the cool factor but then you might be out of work for 11 months yep. Yep. so that i think it just depends on kind of what you want to get out of the experience. But I think because I already was a prof- like a legal professional and like used to kind of having a certain amount of drive to, to stay busy and, and, and play on a, or do anything on that kind of a high level, I think being in my current band is a good fit for my personality and my like professional goals. Okay. So it's, it's good. <laughs> how, how long, how many days in the studio was that? I mean, what was that experience uh, recording for them? Is that just like a quick? Uh, it was pretty – it was just like, yeah, like two, three days. Um, and since then, I recorded two, three days with Ramona Falls. I did uh, one of Brent's records. Uh, I played on the bass player. Uh, the bass player of Elvi is named Matt Sheehy, and his band's called Lost Lander, and I've played on some of his stuff. And then we're I'm, like, working collaboratively with him on an up- upcoming record. Um, so it, it's led to opportunities to just kind of have a little bit of um, – like indie cred outlet to yeah, do, yeah. to do other things um, in terms of songwriting and performing and in and, and, and other contexts. So, but they they tend to be just very quick. Like you go, I go to Portland, I work for a couple of days, and then that's it. Okay. Um, when's the current tour wrap up? We're going through uh, the middle of August, so it's like a three and a half month tour, um, like forty five cities, I think, um, and then. Um, might have some European. We tend to go to Europe once a year or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we'll we'll normally do Germany, the Netherlands, UK. Uh, we'll do Australia. Um, we did those last like summer and fall. So I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I'm sure those will be on the books at some point. We tend to do um, like holiday shows, mm-hmm. like holiday radio concerts and stuff. So uh, they'll, they'll they'll probably be more after the tour is done. But this is the big the big tour for right. the year, and then. Um, at some point, they'll announce our, our next summer tour, which is already – the lineup's already booked. Uh, oh, really? I can't say now, <laughs> but uh, I think it'll be one that uh, people will be excited about, um, especially those that really liked the origin of the band and that era of music I think will be excited about well, what's cool. happening next I'll summer. I'll say that. Interested yeah. to hear <laughs> um, So do you know where your gaps are, your opportunities to jump on a, another project? Yeah, I well, you know, I do, and then things pop up. They tend to be the pri- like private shows will pop up, okay. but you know, it's hard to complain if it's like, sorry guys, we got to yeah. go to Maui and play the, and you're like, okay, bummer. Um, the only the time it really is is hard is uh, my wife is a, a second year resident in internal medicine in New York, and um, she barely gets any time off. So when she finally gets, she gets like two vacations a year, and so if you schedule a vacation and then have to cancel it that would that would be tough look it's on i've been very lucky where that the only time i i had to miss a gig was for my own wedding so uh which was a bummer because then people in the band couldn't come but it's okay you know i still i can identify with you because i uh (laughs) yeah i got married on a saturday Mm -hmm. and worked on a sunday oof yeah that's brutal (laughs) and i had to tell people like i I was eloping so it was a secret and i was like i I can't you know we were like we gotta work the weekend it's like i I, god i can't if i get that one day (laughs) (laughs) i just can't tomorrow i'll be back on sunday um so uh, those you you bring up those corporate gigs are those just totally plush i mean are you guys just getting flown down put up i mean is that are the corporate gigs a little bit different are you asking for a little bit more or getting a little bit more in you know, terms of- yeah, I think the way that corporate gigs work generally is, yes, I think that you, I mean, you name whatever price is worth it for you to do it, but it's almost like, well, it sounds like you eloped. So I don't know if you went through this, but when you're, when you're paying for a wedding and you're paying for like cake or a photographer, everybody charges you like 
three times as much as it really would be. I think I think corporate gigs are probably like that for every band. I, sure. I think it's just like a, you know, it's like a unique opportunity to get a private show from from you know whatever Maroon Five or yeah. John Mayer or whoever you may like. Um, but um, yeah, so I think they negotiate whatever price makes sense. Um, and and um, yeah, it's not like it's always like private jets or whatever. Sometimes it involves. Normally, it's just like yeah, you fly to Vegas commercial and you stay at whatever hotel the event is at but those tend to be the the good ones you know the venetian or whatever um yeah but it's it it is it is a it's weird it's like uh it's so normal to me because we do it so much but it is not normal to most musicians that it's basically like a really nice version of what most working musicians do when they have to play like like a cocktail gig or like a, a wedding or something where people are kind of ignoring them and they're like, whatever, but like, it's something you have to do to pay the bills. You know, we're very lucky to be invited to play these things, but the, the reality is sometimes people just kind of mistreat you or like are rude or like, they'll just like, here's this amazing singer who's in a, a big band who like just played Madison square garden the night before or whatever. But like, you're interrupting him because you're drunk and you're like trying to say like, Hey, play, Hey man. Hey, Hey, yeah. Hey man. Hey, can you play free? And you're like, bro like just be cool so but other times it feels like a normal show and people are really into it um but ultimately what what i see is like women are always like excited about the band because they really like hey soul sister or whatever and dudes are always like reluctant at first and then we play a zeppelin song they're like oh okay they're they're all right and then by the end they're like screaming to drop to jupiter but it's so funny to see that every time that's very funny like dudes are so afraid to admit that they like train but like ultimately I think we have an amazing singer and I think we put on a great show or I think our, our band is good and and so if you know a couple drinks in, I think people are like, All right, I gotta I gotta <laughs> just be cool about this. Um but it is hard because when you play your normal shows, people obviously are already fans or willing yeah, yeah. to pay the money to come and see <clears> you, so there's a different dynamic. Um it's not sometimes it can just be kind of standoffish at the at the corporate shows. But it's it's a part of it and again we're very privileged to be in a situation to be able to do those things. But it is it is a part of the industry that it's both glamorous and not glamorous at all. Sure. And and it's something that people don't even realize is, is something that we would do. Like even in when I talk to lawyer friends, they're like, Oh, are you still touring with train? Like because I think the way that almost it came off when I left the firm was like, oh, I was just going to do this one little tour and then it's over. Right. But like, we're always working. Like I rarely, I mean, I rarely have a week where I'm not flying to do one of those shows. It's almost like I'm a consultant where like you fly and then you do your show one day and then you fly back the next. So I'm gone like half the week, almost every week. Right. Um, so there's no, and I don't know if this is a question you may have, but people often ask me, like, are you still practicing law? No. I mean, this is a full-time job playing in the band and, uh, you know, being a lawyer is a full-time job. And, and, and so even though I, you know, who knows what will happen down the line, but it, it'd be very difficult to do both. Like, oh, yeah, train's sure. very busy. Like, yeah, you're, you're picking two <laughs> you jobs know. with 90-plus-hour weeks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and granted, like, the actual work is 60 minutes on stage or whatever, yeah. but it's a lot of travel. It's a lot of sound checking, you know, kind of hurry up and wait. Um, and for me, like, I, I just stay active uh, practicing drums as much as possible, writing music, um, you know, recording, doing those those types of things where – um, and, and the social media thing. I mean, that's while I'm on tour, that's a, a couple hours of my day is spent like editing content, mm-hmm. you know, videos, photos coming up with interesting ways to promote whatever's going on. And it's, uh, it's not just like me sitting around waiting for someone to give me free symbols. It's like, it's a lot of effort. And, and, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, so it's, it's not as, it's just different work. It's, it's a lot of like, you have to just motivate yourself to always stay busy, um, because I don't assume that this job will last forever for me or for any, I mean, this is, we're very lucky to be going as long as we have, but like, this is, uh, most people don't, most people aren't able to do it forever, you know? Yeah. So I, so I feel fortunate that I took time to, to become a lawyer and have a, kind of a, a different perspective on like what types of jobs could exist, you know, like I, playing drums in a great band in front of a lot of people is the most fun thing I'll probably ever do as a professional. But down the line, because of like my skill set, you know, if an opportunity to work at like a streaming company or like a record label or in management came up, 
and it seemed like the right time to do something like that, that that's great. You know, that's, I'm, I've, you know, I'm, I'd be open to that opportunity if it came to me or if I, if I sought it out. Um, but for now, I mean, and for hopefully a long time doing this is amazing. I mean, yeah. playing drums <laughs> is so fun. Playing drums with these people in this band is, is, uh, is a real honor. So, uh, well, you have yeah. it. I mean, as you've said, you've had it about as good as it gets. Mm-hmm. But even that said, do you see where it is a grind? Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's part of why I left it in the first place <clears throat> 10 years ago was there was a turning point where at least in Portland, I felt like I, as a 24 year old, got all the gigs you could get, got all the touring gigs you could get out right. of Portland, had the opportunity to tour with Pat on this national tour. But in order to get to the next level it, it was going to require a move to la or new york but because a lot of my college friends at that point were in grad school you know they're going to business school or law school i started thinking or now's the time to maybe consider getting another type of professional training to go a different avenue because if you go really far down one career path it would be hard to make a switch yeah. later in life so yep. that's at that point it made sense to me to make the switch um I'm glad that I went that path because it's, you know, the law degree isn't going anywhere. It was great to get the opportunity to work at a big firm. And, and I think it just rewired the way that I think and um, the way I communicate and write and the way that I think I can operate in different kind of professional situations. So it was it was well worth, I think, that training. But now that I'm doing this, my wife says that I'm – I'm broken. There's no way I can go back to doing <laughs> sitting behind a desk or, you know, like it <laughs> suit and tie. Do you have to do suit and tie when you're at the, I, I, yeah, I wore, I mean, yeah, most of the time, I, I guess what I mean is like, we are very lucky to stay at nice hotels and, you know, be yeah. treated well. And, and, um, it's the, the highs are very high out yeah. on the road in terms of like, the, you know, the types of crowds we get to play yeah. in front of and everything. So, um, I guess what I was getting at is, but, is yeah. in the, in the long term, I could you having know, a family as, as and good all as, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as good yeah. as you're getting it, as yeah. you have it, it's you do have a great background to fall back on. Yeah. As you pointed out. It just – yeah, it's just uh, everybody knows and lawyers will say this forever. Like this is just more fun. <laughs> I mean like – but people who are excellent like partner – like law firm partners everything, I think they do love what they're doing. Right. Uh, because – a lot of people don't make it to partners, you know, maybe at a big firm, like one in a hundred is going to make it because a lot of people decide, okay, I think I'm good at this, but I don't know if this is for me in this particular way. And they go in-house and work, uh, you know, for Google or something, or they go to a smaller market and work at a smaller firm with better hours, or they leave law entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't burnt out. I wasn't at that point, um, th- which is why I still kind of, I think... Uh, I don't have like a jaded view of what it was like to be a lawyer or anything. I think it's um, I'm open to the opportunity of of combining the worlds at some point down the road. But that could be 20 years from now. Mm-hmm. I think having a family is tough when you're traveling all the time. But the reality is like if I was a partner in a law firm, I probably if I had kids, I, it would be hard to see them too. Um, it's just it's just different. Yeah. I'm just on the road instead of like at the at the office, you know. Yeah. All right. Well, um, every show I wrap up with uh, the same five questions. Sure. So yeah. let's, uh, let's get to those. Great. Uh, question number one is your house is on fire. What's the musical artifact you go in and rescue? Oh, man. That's a really good, really good question. I think that I would probably save my first like my first drum set that I got after college when I started playing professionally, like I'd save to, to finally mm-hmm. get like a nice kit, you know, um, just cause of the sentimental value of it. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, question two is, uh, if I were to give you a million dollars for charity, which one charity gets it? I would give it to family house, which is the band's, uh, charity. Um, they house families of children receiving cancer treatment, um, at uh, UCSF in San Francisco. Okay. I saw um, that. Uh, yeah. yeah, I saw that on the website, and also that's where some of the proceeds of the, like the was that the Zeppelin album or the Christmas, Christmas yeah the, Zep- the, the Zeppelin album okay yeah um, all of it actually um, that's great so for people who who say you're trying to make money off Led Zeppelin well yeah but for for a charity so <laughs> take that naysayer well is it's funny that goes back to the economics of music if if they own all the publishing how much do you you just make a smaller percentage yeah like of just I mean, 
Yeah, that's how that works. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Question three is, what would your walk-up music be to the Pearly Gates? Oh, man. Um, probably Jamiroquai, because I really like funky dance music. Okay. <laughs> you can slide on up. Yeah, exactly, good, man. Okay. I would just... I, also, I would have like a backwards escalator, like uh, <laughs> yeah, virtual, like video. yeah, virtual insanity. That's great. Got I get to see them. For, by the way, not to nerd out, but they were one of my favorite bands in high school, <laughs> and uh, they like they recently are like uh, kind of enjoying some some uh, like a resurgence. Uh, but they're playing their first show in the state in in the states in New York in like 15 years, and I got tickets to see them at uh, Forest Hills Stadium, and I'm just like. Really excited. Okay, cross your fingers. There's not a. We got a corporate gig. Uh, we just. You know. I know. I mean, <laughs> we just I added was, it. Yeah. Why are you gonna say that, man? I was feeling good about it. <laughs> when, when is it? When is it? Uh, it's September, October, okay. or something like that. <laughs> okay. On the reverse side of the last question is what's stuck on repeat in hell? Oh man. Oh man, I don't want to throw anybody under <laughs> the bus. Be careful what you say. Yeah, I know. Cross their, uh... Oh, dude. Um, I like all music. <laughs> I've had to take that answer. Um, no, there's, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, or more recently, people have been throwing, uh, Cars for Kids, that jingle. Oh, my goodness. In New York. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow. Speaking of, you were asking, like, do you fake playing on TV? Like, it's, I hate when I watch a TV show or a commercial where they, where they actually, do, so, okay, now I get why they hired, <laughs> I figured out my own question why they hired professional jazz musicians to pretend to play is that when you get actors who don't know what they're doing, it looks ridiculous. So like in that situation, the kids cars for kids, great charity, obviously, but the song's horrible. And then these kids like are so bad at faking it. It just looks ridiculous. <laughs> and I hate when like the, the drums are playing, but then like the snare hit isn't lining yeah, up yeah. with the sound. And well, that goes all the way back to like the Partridge <sighs> family. I don't think they ever synced up those poor boys. It's real bad, kid. real bad. <laughs> Uh, final question is, uh, what's your, uh, best concert experience, your favorite show you've seen? Paul McCartney. Um, I went, I used to live in Philly, went to law school, but, um, I, I, I went back a couple of years ago and, um, went to the, where the Phillies play the baseball team and saw Paul McCartney and Abe Laborie on, 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 uh, drums. He's an amazing drummer and singer. And uh, obviously those songs are insane. Yeah. Like we, right now we're playing 60 minutes. Um, 65 minutes and it's pretty much all our hits you know um it's pretty good good you know 60 minutes for us um paul mccartney has like three and a half hours of hits yeah, and he didn't crazy. play them all you know <laughs> it's insane and they're like like you know top probably like top 20 songs of all time are yeah. included in those you know it's so yeah uh it's it was amazing and he was he's i think because we've lost so many of our uh, iconic rock legends in the past few years. And I know, I know people, you know, people pass away all the time, but I think because we're getting to that point where people who were the legends from the sixties and seventies yeah. are dying. Like well, rock, that's just I mean, such rock a, is relatively very young. Still. Exactly. Yeah. So go out and see Paul yeah. McCartney, go out and see Paul Simon and Elton John, who have said that they're going to retire at the end of their current tours. Um, see Bob Dylan, see, you know, you got to see these people. Like I never got to see Prince or Michael Jackson, you know, yeah. like, I don't know. There are a lot of people that, that I, I didn't get to see. So, um, now do you see yeah. that as a goal for yourself? Not that you'd go straight through, but like when I'm 70, sure. I want to be, I, I want to be active. I want to be in front of a crowd. I want to, I, I would be open to playing. Yeah. And like I was saying earlier, like if that is our situation and we continue to, hopefully we continue to make, music that people care about and is relevant and keeps us yeah on this stage you know um and uh yeah i would do it i would do it forever yeah. um not that i'm saying i have to play like massive stadiums all yeah, the time yeah. or whatever but um it does yeah it would it, it, it's great that people continue to care about the music we're making and if i if that would be the case for a long time that would be amazing and i'd love to love to do that uh, but it's a very it's a very physical instrument, you know. Like you see someone like Charlie Watts yeah. playing, and you're like, well, "That's amazing," you know. Like I got to see Roy Haynes, the jazz legend, at the Village Vanguard 
in his 80s playing, you know. Uh, but sometimes, you, like, you see it and you're like, oh, man, I don't know if I can keep that up. <laughs> I, I, it's funny. That's I've heard hard. on different podcasts some of the older guys are saying, like, they're starting to break down a bit. I'm 35. And, uh, yeah, I mean, like, all of a sudden, like, I have lower back pain when I'm carrying drums. Like, what? This was not the case. back, Or my knees hurting or whatever it may be, you know. Like, it's, it's uh, I, yeah. But hopefully, you know, if you do some yoga and stay in shape, you can keep it up. Yeah, more and more as you uh, get older. Yeah, exactly. All right, Drew. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Thanks for it. having me. It's a pleasure of mine. All right. All right. Huge thank you to Drew Scholes. Dealing with Drew and getting him to come on the show couldn't have been a better experience. He was very receptive and responsive and treated me to the show to boot, so thank you, Drew. You can keep tabs on Drew on his website, drewscholes.com, where you can find all his social media links and more, or go to Train's website, savemesanfrancisco.com. Drew and Train are on tour throughout the summer, so do yourself a favor and catch them if you can. I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode, so head over down over to iTunes and give us a rating and comment. And heck, subscribe to Rockonomics while you're there. We'll be back next week, same time, same place, so we look forward to having you all back then. It's Lights Out for Episode 28. Good night, Cleveland.